Yogi, Yogi Berra uh, was a catcher, baseball, Hall of Famer, I don't know, nine times, uh, what are they, all-star game or something. He, he was quite an athlete for the Yankees from a New York guy. And, and he was known not only for his athletic abilities, but he really became known for his wit and, and one-liner zingers. Uh, wrote several books, but he wrote a book, and, and uh, the title of it just captured me the first time I ever saw it and heard of it. And the title of the book is, When You Come to a Fork in the Road, Take It. <laughs> when You Come to a Fork in the Road, Take It. And sometimes it seems that that, that can be the way our, our lives are, is that uh, we, we're faced with decisions we take a fork and sometimes we'll, we'll feel, man, this is the right road. And then the next minute we're feeling like, wow, I don't know if I should have taken that road or not. I want to talk to you that, this morning about which road do I take. When we get to Matthew 16, we, just to, to, to kind of catch us up, last time we were here, Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so the disciples had answered, and it's so good to have Jeannie here. They didn't say that, but so good to have Jeannie here with us this morning. Uh, but the disciples had answered, um, different people said different things. But in verse 17, or in verse 16, Peter says to him, why, you're the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response to that in verse 17 was, Peter, you're exactly right. And, and you, didn't, you didn't come to this conclusion by your own wisdom. It's not man's wisdom, but God has told you this. And that's exactly who I am. Now, we left off with verse 20, and we're going to pick up this morning with verse 21, because verse, in verse 21 says, and I've asked Craig to put it up here in the, in the New Living Translation, says, from then on began Jesus to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Now, I want to, to look at a couple of things. One, from then on, there's a transition here. Now, back in chapter 4, verse 17, there was a transition. Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, Matthew 4, 17, he says, then Jesus began to, uh, to, to share and he preached openly. Now, in six, chapter 16 here, verse 21, from this time on begins a time in Jesus' life and ministry where he is privately instructing and trying to prepare his followers, his disciples for his death, for his, his uh, crucifixion, and for his departure. And, he's, and from now on, we're going to see him trying to equip them. Now, it's, it, here Jesus began, the word is that he began to show, the, uh, to show his disciples how he must needs go to Jerusalem. It was the beginning. That was a start. It wasn't a finish. This plan would unfold. But he began sharing with them God's plan for his life. For the reason he came to earth. It's interesting in King James, it says how he must needs go to Jerusalem. Now, the same word that's used here is used in John chapter 4, verse 4. You remember in John 4, it says that uh, Jesus and his disciples were going back north. And it says he must needs go through Samaria. And so we find Jesus taking his disciples into Samaria to a city named Sychar. 
And there, while Jesus sat at the, at the well and waited, his disciples go into town to try to get something to eat. And this lady comes to the well to draw water. And there, the conversation she has with Jesus, and as Jesus uh, speaks to her, she realizes that not only is, is, is he at the well where she came to draw water, but he is able to give her living water that she'll never thirst for again, the living water that he gives. And so she goes back into the town to tell the others, and the others come out of the town, and many of the people believed on Jesus as the Messiah, who he was. And they asked him to stay for, for a few days, and he did. But it's all because that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He had a plan, and it was necessary that not only for this specific lady, but for the influence she was going to have and for the others in the town that was going to believe on him. And it's the same word here that Jesus is using when he said that he began to plainly tell his disciples how he must must go into Jerusalem and suffer. And he began to share with them God's plan. Now, what was God's plan? God's plan was that Jesus would suffer and die for our sins. And there's been many times I've, I've, I've had people say, well, well, well why? why would he have to die? I mean, if God is God, and he is, surely there could be a, another plan Surely there could have been another way, but there's no other way. And Jesus begins to try to help his disciples to see that. So why was there no other way? Why did Jesus, why must he go to Jerusalem and suffer and die? And the first reason is very clear, because of our sins, because of our sins. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. So we all stand under that, the guilt the condemnation of sin. And scripture makes it very clear that because of our sins, Jesus had to go and become a, the big word is propitiation. And it's used in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. It says, whom God has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. He says the same, something very similar, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and then later in, in chapter 4, verse 10, he, he, he says that Jesus Christ came and he died for our sins. Jesus must have suffered. He must have died because of our sins. The second reason is because that sin demands payment, and that payment demands death and blood. From Genesis chapter 3. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. They had eaten of the fruit he told them not to eat of. And so when God came to fellowship with them, like he always did in the afternoon, they ran and hid rather than going to God. And there they hid and God came to meet them and he called on them and he said, where are you? And Adam then confessed that we hid because we we're naked. And, the, and as the truth came out that they had sinned and disobeyed God, we see what God did in, in Genesis chapter 3. He goes and he kills an animal. The first death of all creation. He kills an animal and he brings those skins to cover Adam and Eve for them to wear. And this was a, this was a foreshadowing. This was signifying 
not only that, there, there had to be a shedding of blood for a covering of our sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says it, says it this way. It's very, very clearly. Hebrews 9, 22 says, And amongst all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. In just a, in just a few minutes, we're going to be sharing the communion table. In Exodus 12, you remember the story that nine plagues God has sent upon Egypt to get Pharaoh to let his people leave. And, uh, and as Pharaoh, as the plagues have got more intense and more intense, and as Pharaoh is, is teetering back and forth, back and forth, letting him go, not letting him go, teetering which direction he'll take. And the 10th plague was the death of the firstborn. And it was going to affect every household. And the, and the only covering for the angel of death that was going to come through Egypt that night was that they had to take a lamb, a perfect lamb. They had to follow the instruction carefully. They had to slaughter that lamb. And then they had to take the blood of that lamb and put it on the side of the doors and over the lintel of the door. Exodus 12, 13 says, And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And there was another type in the beginning and the Passover was kept generation and generation and they all followed that. And then one night in the upper room, Jesus would share the Passover with his disciples and he would change the Passover forever because there that night he would say plainly to his disciples, now, this night, the bread that we break is my body, which is broken for you. And the, the cup of blessing that we share is my blood, which is going to be shed for you. Jesus must needs go through Jerusalem, suffer and die because of our sins and as a perpetuation for our sins. He must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die because sin demanded a blood covering then Jesus also must die to fulfill all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, and all the way, he filled every one of those exactly. So he began to share this plan, God's plan, with his disciples. But notice what happens now in verse 22. It says, then Peter took him, Jesus, and began to rebuke him. Now, other translations have got some different words here. What, what have they got? Peter began to reprimand Jesus. What else? Any other? Huh? Correct him. Correct him. And when it says that Peter took Jesus, uh, uh, some, some translations say that, that he laid hold on him. I think a more accurate, probably more, more generous one that says that, that Peter then took Jesus by the hand. And he took him by the hand and it's like he, he grabs it and he takes him aside. Notice what he says. And Peter began to correct him, saying, Lord, be it far from thee, this is not going to happen to you. Peter began to, Peter took Jesus aside and said, there's no way. There's no way. Peter just three or four verses before this had said unto him, when everybody wanted to know who he was, he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus had said to Peter, you're exactly right. Now Jesus begins to share with them. 
how that he must needs go to Jerusalem. And we've looked at that because of sin, because sin demanded a blood payment and a prophecy to be fulfilled. And Peter did not understand it. Peter began to correct him. Peter began to straighten out. Notice the interchange here. Verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. It's the same words. King James says, get thee behind me, Satan. The same words when Satan came to tempt Jesus. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. King James says, you're an offense to me. What's other translations say there? You're a stumbling block to me. You're, look at this now, look at this. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's. Wow. Just a few, three or four verses earlier, Jesus is saying to Peter, you're exactly right. You didn't come up to that decision on your own wisdom. God has revealed that to you and you're right on target, Peter. And now Peter, but, but understand something. The Jewish mindset that Peter was so familiar with, grew up with, the Jewish mindset believed and had taught and expected that when the Messiah came, he would come as a triumphant Christ. He would come as a conquering Messiah. They had no concept of him coming as a suffering servant. And that's one of the things that created all kinds of problems with the religious leaders as we see it through Jesus' ministry. He didn't fit what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do when he came. Today, there's many people that will not follow Christ because he don't fit into their box. He don't fit into their plan. I want to tell you, there's not a box big enough to put my Jesus in. He'll bust out of them all because he is sovereign. He is Lord of all and alone, and he stands alone, and he's God, and he rules. Peter was thinking like man thinks. And Jesus was saying, Peter, God has a plan. And God's plan requires that I go and suffer and lay down my life. But on the third day, he'll bring it back to life again. That's God's plan. And the thing about God's plan is that God's plan, he doesn't have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. And God doesn't, he doesn't float a, uh, he doesn't get a bunch of posters and say, hey, this is my plan. Poll the people and see what they think about it, if it's good or not. He doesn't, he doesn't get excited when people say, well, that plan is ridiculous. Why did God do that? It don't make sense to me that he's going to delight in his son dying on a cross for my sins. I don't, it don't make sense. And that's basically what Peter was doing. But that's basically, he didn't, it didn't end with Peter. We still have people today all around us. And if we aren't careful, we may be there too. Because God is not doing, Jesus is not fitting our plan. We're missing the road. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. Now, it's interesting to me, the transition now in verse 24. And I was going to, I was going to, I was ready to preach 21, 22, 23. There's a lot of things I wanted to share more about that. But some, in the middle of the night, the Lord, the Lord woke me up. I, I, I hit Craig first service. God love him. Because the Lord said, no, these, you need to look at these other verses. I, and I was going to do the message next Sunday. But I believe with everything within me, the Lord wants us to hear this today. Then Jesus, notice what he says, said to his disciples, 
if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I don't think there's ever been a clearer laying out of the, of the distinctions between God's plan and man's plan. And Jesus here uses this time with Peter when Peter has been so, you're right on target, Peter. I am the Christ, the son of the living God. You're right on target. To Peter, you're not even seeing this thing the way that God sees it. You're thinking like a man. And Jesus says, if you really want to be follower of mine, then you need to lay down your life, take up your cross and follow me. You surrender to me. Now, the world's thinking, and it's so clear here, he, and it, he says this, this thing that's hard for people to understand. For whosoever will, it says, for whosoever will save his life will lose it. <sighs> What's that mean? And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And I think it makes it very clear in verse 26, and I appreciate Jeff's message last week to the graduates. Boy, that's a message that I've not been able to walk away from. One of, and the last, one of the last points that Jeff made was, we need to live our life with a purpose. Yes. With a purpose. And he, shares, he expounded and shared upon that. And Jesus is saying, here, look at it. He's saying very clearly. The world thinks that the way to life is to gain and to get. God says the way to real life is to surrender and give up and follow me. And he wants us to understand that. That life consists, that his desire is a, is a life of relationship with Jesus Christ. And following him in the here and now. And not only is it, is it to know his peace, not only is it to know his power in the here and now. Not only is it to know his forgiveness and to know the freedom that we experience in Christ here and now. But God's plan is that also when we breathe that last breath of life on this earth and step into eternity, that we step into a place that he has prepared for us. We call it heaven. There to be welcomed home and greeted by God the Father, Son, Jesus Christ, and by those who have died in the Lord and gone before us. He has a plan, and that plan is a good plan. And that plan begins with surrendering and giving our lives to him. The world's plan is the opposite. And I think he gives us insight when he said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And while we are chasing our dreams, there's nothing wrong with being successful unless the price of that success comes at the cost of your relationship with Christ or obedience to Christ or the cost of a family's. There's many families that are shipwrecked while the husband or the wife or the husband and the wife sought success and, and neglected their soul. And Jesus wants, it to be, he wants us to be clear and understand that. You chase those dreams. 
You follow those dreams and you're thinking this, when I've got this much or when I've gained this part or when I get to this place, it's not that I forgot God. I, I believe in him. I'll, I know that I'll come back and then I'll really commit my life to, and I'll get involved and I'll do all these things then. Proverbs 14, 12 says that there is a way which seems right before each person, but it ends in death. Peter, Peter, you've walked with me. Peter, you've been right there. Peter, you just proclaimed who I am. Peter, you, you don't, you're, you're not talking, you're not, you're not seeing these things from God's perspective because God sees that I must needs do this so that we can walk in relationship and forgiveness and you can walk in forgiveness, you can walk in freedom. I need, I have to do this for you. Amen. Now, just in a few moments, uh, we will come and share in the, in the Lord's table. I, I want to, uh, hmm. two things that I wrote down. I didn't even look at this first service. Jesus may not meet the mold or the definition of men, but he is the perfect fulfillment of God's plan. His miraculous birth, his sinless life, his glorious resurrection. In our trust in God, we must fully submit or become obedient to his will and his mind. You see, the mind of God is revealed in the word of God. And the word of God is revealed to us in Christ, John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So to, to know the mind of God to, is to know Christ. To know Christ is to know his word. And it doesn't change. Look in Philippians chapter 2. I think we're probably going to close closely with this, Craig. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Didn't Jeff, the second point last week was live humbly? Yeah. Live humbly. And he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus is saying this to his followers here. If you want to really live, then you need to die. Now, I've had people look at this and it says, when he says, well, whosoever will lose his life for my sake, is that talking about those that are martyred? Could be. It could be. But I think it's more than that. I think it's broader than that. I think it is, is, is bringing our, our, ourselves to the foot of the cross and dying there, and dying there. I, we just had a wedding yesterday, beautiful wedding. Bob and Barbara Drew's granddaughter uh, married down at, at, at Low Creek, and out on outside, outside, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, in marriage counseling, a lot of times, we'll talk about the difference between the biblical perspective of, of love and, and God's, God's perspective and the world's perspective of love. And we'll look at Scripture, and, and of course, we look at John three sixteen. And John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave. He gave his only begotten son. 
And so as we look at, as we look at Scripture, we see that Scripture's definition of love is giving. The world's definition of love is right contrary to that. Often it's getting. So I'll talk to these, these uh, uh, engaged couples, and, and we'll talk about that, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll talk about, are you willing to lay down your life for, this, for the, your, your, your spouse? Oh, yeah. And I look at these young men, and it's so true, I, and I can see them, and, and it's so true. I, I'd die for them. Matter of fact, I had one tell me one time, I'd die for them. And I'm looking out here at these, at you, at you men that are blessed to still have your, your wives with you. Some of you, your wives have gone to be home to be with the Lord. Others of you, God still got to reveal them to you. But I look out here at you, and, and I'm convinced there's not a one of us, I don't think there's a one in here, that would have to flip a coin. If your wife's life was on the line, and, it, and you knew that to save her would cost you your life, that's a no-brainer. Amen. That's a no-brainer. You don't say, well, honey, hmm. No, you do that. It's a no-brainer. And I've said to these men, I said, that, that's the easy part. I said, the hard part comes being a living. Are you willing to live as a servant and die to self? Oh, that's, that's different now. Doggone. I mean, I did it. I, I helped her do the dishes yesterday. I, I was talking to a retired guy yesterday, and, uh, and a retired couple, and uh, she said, man, she said, you talk about a rough time. When he retired and started staying home, he got all in my business. <laughs> and, and the guy just, you know, he, he had that while looking, he said, uh, he said, I helped her do the dishes, and she got all upset. She said she does the dishes by herself, and she's got a certain way she does them. And, and I thought, I, I need to talk to Barbie. I thought maybe I may not need to be doing dishes, helping you do dishes. <laughs> I've, I've told you, you know, I've, I've told you about that, this, this love language. And, and for years, I thought that the love language, that Barbie's love language was, was helping her do housework. It's true. I mean, we both worked. Um, and so we'd come home, and, and man, I'd... I'd, she, I was regulated. I'd help, try to help her do the washing one time, and we wore, all wore the same you know, pink clothes. They were red and white. We wore them until we wore them out. So she said, don't wash the clothes. And so I, I got by with that, uh, not intentionally. But, but, uh, and so I did different things. And I remember, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm depositing, I'm, I'm, making, I'm making points because I'm telling her I love her. Honey, I, I, I helped make the bed. Did you see that? I want you to know I made the bed because I love you. And I'll never forget I'd been, I mean, I was doing this. This was my life. And one day I said to her, when I, when I make the bed or when I empty the dishwasher, do you see that as me saying to you, I love you? And she got this crazy, wild look <laughs> on her face. And I knew at that point, I knew. And she said to me, I've never thought about that like that. And I'm thinking, you are kidding me? No, I'm, I'm serious. Exactly. I'm, you're kidding me. And I said, what says to you, I love you? She says, when you spend time with just you and me talking. Lord, I could have been talking instead of making the bed. <laughs> but it's that language of love. Now, why am I saying that? Because God says that if we will lose our life for him, we will know what real living is. We will know what really living is. What does that mean? I'm convinced that it means trusting him fully and completely. 
Just surrendering and submitting to him. He's Lord. He's Lord. When you come to that fork in the road, take it. But you take it completely trusting and realizing and depending on him for his guidance and that he's there. And he's promised. Matter of fact, he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And see, Peter, even thinking as a man would think, was saying, Lord, that's not the way. Surely God don't want you to, that's not what, that's not how the Messiah is supposed to do this thing. Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life, what? And that more abundantly. Real living begins when we die to ourselves and surrender to him. Oh, man. It makes it very, very clear. Let's, let's pray. Father, this morning, I, I realize that our lives often are a series of decisions, and, and, and they're big decisions that affect not only our lives now, but they can affect them down the road. And sometimes we pray, and it seems like we know exactly what you want us to do, and we walk that out. And then sometimes, Lord, it seems like we pray, and, and we don't hear, and we don't hear. And sometimes we, we decide we're going to, you know, we're going to do it this way and just trust that that's what you want. Lord, I'm so aware this morning that, that you've come to us and you've said the way to live is to live in a relationship where we walk. The song that was saying, just a closer walk with you, Lord. That's, that's what we want every day, walking with you, enjoying, as Peggy was sharing earlier, Lord, reveling in your forgiveness and freedom that you give to us through your son, Jesus Christ. It's a freedom, Lord, from the, the, from the very power of sin. Power, sin no longer has domination over us, but you break those chains. You, you free us from that captivity. It's that freedom that you want us to walk in, just a closer walk with you. Lord, that's our desire. And Father, this morning as we, as we come, and before we come to share in the memorial of the Lord's death and resurrection, his blood and his body. I'm so aware that your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, wants to speak to each, each of our hearts. As Peggy said, there's no mistaking where the anointing of the Lord is. And he's there for a purpose. And you have a plan. And Lord, that plan involves every individual that's here. You have a plan, a plan of life. A plan of forgiveness, a plan of relationship, and following you. Just in a moment, we're going to sing the chorus of I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. With our heads still bowed, I just want you to see in Jesus. That's what I want. With our heads still bowed, if, if that's your decision. Now, listen, don't you make a decision for the Lord lightly, it's a commitment to trust him, to walk with him, to obey him. But if you've made that commitment, uh, as we sang, I want you to stand. If you've never made that, but this morning, God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're, you're willing to say to him, hey, I need you to forgive my sins and I'm 
dying to self today so that I can walk with you, follow you. You join us. I have decided to follow Jesus. If that's you, stand up. Decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me.